0: Take your Bible, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're using a smart device, that's okay, we're reading out of the English Standard Version and uh, I'd invite you to read along silently as I read this aloud. We've been um, doing a study for some months now in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians we are coming off of uh, an incredible teaching. You know, Paul was, was concerned that the new Christians there in Thessalonica got it right. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was the second coming of Christ. Very, very important. But he comes back to something that um, we have begun to look at this last week. We'll finish it out not only with his thankfulness for what God is doing in the life these believers, and uh, we need to bring it up to, to today, what, life, what God is doing in the life of believers even now. And so, beginning with verse 13, we're going to back up. You see what our subject matter is today, but we'll back up to 13 and read through 17. We want to get a gist of the, uh, the entire passage of Scripture that is before us. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you as the first fruits to be saved, or God has chosen you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God the Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Father, that is our prayer today. For every person in this room, I think of David's words just a few moments ago in the baptistry about Verity. And Lord, yes, she's young, but she's old enough to see that she is a sinner before you, a holy God, and she needed a Savior, and she has that Savior even Jesus Christ. And Father, we we pray now for her and for others in this room that we will pass along to them a legacy that will enable them to stand firm in a day where there are all kinds of people around us professing believers who are not standing firm. And the way that we'll do that is by holding tightly to your truth And so I thank you for that and pray that you might help us and and quicken to our hearts the very words of God in this passage of Scripture. And we thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All believers, all true followers of Jesus Christ, I guess you could say have many things in common. But they have two things in common that we've been looking at and talking about is as we seek to live out the gospel and carry it to, to every place, whether it's across the ocean or across the street or down to Arlington, Texas, sharing the gospel with those who are in need. Here are the two things that we will always encounter, opposition And persecution is the norm. And out of that, and along with that, parallel to that, we must have, as we said this last week, we need to have the assurance, the bedrock assurance, that you and I, if we are in Christ, that we are eternally safe. Let me share what we have just been talking about. We just read a few moments ago, but I want to put it before you and show you what Paul says there. Look at this. He wants us, like I said last week, Paul does not want us to be insecure in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul says, I thank God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification, that's always going to be a part of the process, by the Spirit, so God initiates through the Spirit, and then through faith or belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel. I don't know about you, we've been talking about this in our Sunday school class, in our ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship class, as we look at the incredible work that God through the Trinity has done on our behalf. We've been looking at Ephesians 1 in that particular class, but I'm always amazed at how this parallels with so many other writings of the Apostle Paul. And he says it right here, to this he called you through our gospel. Jesus, because God the Father chose us before the beginning of the world, Jesus died in time past to pay for the penalty of our sins, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies us in time present. And get this, here's the hope that we have for all Eternity to the praise of the glory of his grace Here, one, here's one of the things that I talked about just a second ago and, and you know I, I looked at this and, and and I thought about this this last week and, and I knew that I was going to be standing before you and, and and I would be saying that this is one of the things that all believers at some time, will experience you and I will experience opposition, persecution, because, according to what Peter says, you and I are called to suffer. Have you ever wondered why? Could be a lot of reasons. I think people down through the ages have really struggled with this. But here is one of the things that I firmly believe why suffering and opposition and persecution, and yes, in some places even now, even death are a part of the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, is because God wants us to display what we declare you know why we're here today? Because it's Sunday, some of you, because it's Father's Day, you want to be with your dad, and he's religious, and so you come to church. Hey, no, no, no. We are here to sing praises to Almighty God, to listen to the Word preached, to pray the Word, to do something we said a few moments ago, to see the Word exemplified. We are declaring that Jesus Christ is worthy of everything. One of the young ladies in our church came up this last week. I I just love it when the, the kids, when others share the things that God is doing in their life. And she shared that this last week, and she's young. Verity, she's young like you. And she said, Pastor Marty, guess what I did last week? I asked Jesus to be the boss of my life. And she was so excited. Excited, I was excited for her. And I, I said, oh, thank God. That is, that is just so wonderful. Isn't God good? now, that young lady, and, and by the way, I'm going to come to this at the end, but it is up to us, parents, all of you parents, you grandparents, it is our job right now, and I think particularly in the days ahead, that we let those children know that they have been called to something. They've been called to display the value in Jesus Christ, and sometimes, that will come at great cost. I I want you to remember something, and some of you can't remember it because you weren't here. This is your first Sunday here since I've been preaching in Thessalonians, the the two books. These were the earliest two books, we believe, that Paul the Apostle wrote. And if you will remember the the first letter, and, and then came the second one, this church was birthed in affliction. You received the Word in much affliction. Now, again, I, 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 I just want you to understand that right now in our cultural setting, right here in this church, as our children come to Vacation Bible School, This coming week, and as others have gone to other vacation Bible schools, and they've heard the gospel maybe for the first time, at least in their little hearts, and they've responded to the gospel, I I don't think that their experience was they received the word in much affliction. But this is the experience... Of our brothers and sisters who live around the world, a little bit later on, he says, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen. These were your neighbors that came after you, that no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves, here it is again, know that we are destined for this. And and so again, I just want to ask you, is this new? Is this new? Now, Paul establishing the church, look at how he strengthened and encouraged the church right after he established it. How did he do it? He went back through and he established leadership. And then he said, through many tribulations, you're going to enter the kingdom of God. you say, Paul, that doesn't sound like much of an encouragement. Well, it was. It was a heads up. It was an encouragement that God would see them through whatever they had to do. And and again, you ask, is this surprising? Even then, sometimes it was surprising. And so, Peter, later on, he says this, don't be surprised. It's really not strange if you suffer for your faith. Now, I've said this before, don't be obnoxious about your faith and suffer. Peter talks about this. But, but when you are giving the reason for the hope that is within you and you suffer, don't think it's strange. In fact, I've thought of this for myself. It's probably far more strange that I never experience any kind of suffering if I'm really walking in the things of the Lord. So what's the upshot of this? Before we get to verse 15, you'll see that that's where we're going, and we're just going to pick this apart like we normally do Sunday by Sunday. The upshot of this is, all right, when you see things going from bad to worse, pause. Pause. Say, so, well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to tell you what you need to take away from that. When you see things going from bad to worse, most people project it out into the cultural kinds of things that are going on. Maybe those cultural things are someday going to overlay on you in terms of economic situations and certain religious liberties. By the way, the Apostle Paul never felt that he needed a particular law of religious liberty to share the gospel. He just did it. Maybe those things going from bad to worse are in your own situation, your own family, your own life. Maybe it's your health. I I don't know. Maybe it's in the life of the church. either through a, a lack of teaching about these kinds of things, or maybe, maybe it's just maybe it's not false teaching per se, maybe it's just weak teaching. So what do you do? What do you do when you're shaken? That's the, whole, that's the whole reason why Paul wrote this letter. What do you do when you're shaken? You go back to chapter 2 and verse 1. Here's what you do. Let's look at it in verse 15. He said, so then, brother, he points back to what he just said. Your eternity, your security in the Lord Jesus Christ is just as certain as God's choosing you and loving you before that for salvation and sanctification. Again, I I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message, particularly if you struggle with this thing called eternal security, the assurance of your salvation, the perseverance or the preservation of the saints. And Paul wants us to know. He wants us to be certain. He wants us to be sure. But out of this comes the command, don't be shaken. Don't be alarmed. And here's how he says it in two different ways. I love this. And they're so they're so picturesque. First thing he says is, keep standing firm. I, I said keep standing firm. It doesn't say that in your Bible, but this is in the present tense. This is not just you stand firm when you became a Christian, and then that's it. You keep on doing it every day, every minute of every day. You keep standing firm. You keep persisting in the things of God. You keep persevering. There are many verses that that could parallel with that. One of my favorites is this. You need to write this down if you don't have this in your personal repertoire uh, of of verses that encourage you. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes to them, be watchful, stand firm in the truth, Act like men. Be strong. There's a story in the Old Testament. I've been thinking about where do I go from here? I'm almost through with Second Thessalonians. And I'm thinking about the Old Testament somewhere. Not sure yet. Where so I don't want to say it, so you won't hold me to it necessarily. But th- there are some incredible stories in the book of First and Second Samuel. More than just incredible stories, they point to the gospel. They point to Jesus Christ. I want to give you a story. If you've never heard of this guy, I want to tell you about a guy named Shama or Shama, the son of Aji the herarite Now, I will say this. If you're around these guys, please don't make fun of their names. You don't want to mess with these guys. I'm going to share two stories and, and about two of the three guys. These were guys called the mighty men of David, and he was surrounded by a lot of mighty men. 30-ish, the the number is probably around 37, but at the top of the heap, the the three baddest guys, that's not really good English, is it? (laughs) How do I say that? The three guys that you did not want to mess with, this was one of them. His name was Shema, or Shama. And this is the story, and it illustrates, now watch this, because it, it weaves something in there. While other Christians are fleeing, it tells you, empowered by God, what you are supposed to do. I understand that this points to Christ, but this is a, an application for us. The Philistines had gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of beans, split peas, lagoons say what <laughs> what's the deal with that well the, the the back story is probably that this was most likely during harvest time and so this was very important for the survival of the people of Israel and so the Philistines who wanted to harm them came after them when they were they were, they might have been there for the harvest i don't know but what does it say that all of the people of Israel did, except for one guy? What does it say that they did? They ran. They ran when they saw the battle hardened Philistines, but not Shammah. He took his stand right in the dead center of the plot. It doesn't say what kind of weapon he used. First guy used a spear next guy uses a sword. Whatever it was, it did the job. Now, I want you to look at this, though. Who does the glory go to? He defended it, and he struck down the Philistines. And would you say this with me? The Lord worked a great victory. It was the Lord who worked the great victory. I don't know if Paul, who really, really knew the Scriptures, was thinking back when he said, I want you to stand firm. Thessalonians, you're a small, nobody group of Christians. And if everyone around you runs from the enemy, you stand your ground. Now there there are lots of warnings in Scripture for people who don't stand their ground. Why am I sharing the, this with you? I mean, I've got a oh, I, I just look out a bunch of wonderful students and older people and and median age people and and then older people still yet and really old people and. I don't, I don't care what age you are. Verity, at your age, who's the oldest in the group today? I thought I saw Ed back there. Well, there are some of us that are older. It doesn't matter. Stand your ground. Now, we're going we're to see what to stand on in just a minute. But I want to run you through because this, this is important. I'm a Christian. You've just told me I have security. Yes, I did. And yes, you have you've got it, but the warnings of Scripture are real. There's a reason why they're in there. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God when the enemy comes and attacks your plot of lentils. Maybe that's your family. Maybe maybe that's your church. I don't know. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And then the second shortest verse in the Bible found in Luke 17. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Third, the second shortest verse in the Bible is, I find this interesting, remember Lot's wife. Why? Oh, come on. All she... Oh, no, 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 no. God, you can't do that. All she did was look back. All she did was, was look back. There, there is a, a whole theme here of keeping your hand to the plow. This is, a, this is a warning. Remember, Lot's wife is in the Scripture, in the New Testament, for a reason. Are you secure as a believer in your faith and in your eternity? Are you? Are you? Yes, you are. But are these warnings real? So he says, stand firm. But that's not all he says. I love this next one. What else do you do? Okay, Christian, students, right here. You just got back from Mission Arlington. There are going to be enemies that are going to come and try to spoil your plot of lentils. And the rest... So the first thing you do is stand firm. You've got to stand firm on something. Paul gets to that in a minute. But he also uses a, a, a different picture. This is a beautiful picture. He says, keep, this is a present tense, don't just do it once. Keep holding tightly to. Keep your grip on. What? we'll get to that in a second. Let's look at what this means. And again, we're going to go back to the three mighty men, how this is so illustrative of what Paul writes about. Again, did he have these stories in mind? I don't know, but they sure are close. All right, if you're not going to make fun of Shammah, don't make fun of Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohai, I know his name sounds funny. No, don't make funny. Now watch the parallel. He was a mighty man. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered for battle. They were gathered for battle like the Philistines always did. They taunted, I'm sure. And they were well, they number one, they stood their ground. But what happened to the rest of Israel? What happened to the rest of the church? Things are getting hot. Things are getting tough. Things are getting tight. I, I think I'll, you know, I can just do something else. Do I really need the church? Do I, do I really need to do this with my family? Do I really? See, th- they fled. The rest of the men fled. But he didn't. He took his stand. He rose. Now, we know what kind of weapon he had. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary in his hand. Clave, anybody got the King James? Clave, clung to the sword. And who brought the victory? Isn't that just kind of interesting? Eliezer wasn't going to stand up and say, look at me, what I did, Shema. No, 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 no. The Lord brought about a great victory. Here's an interesting thing. That word, his hand clung to the sword, clave, is exact. listen, is exactly the same word used in Genesis 3. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two become one flesh. Samuel was, I think, trying to get across a point that Eleazar clung so tightly to the sword that that sword, it was almost as it were, became embedded in his very flesh. It was of his flesh. Do you get the picture? He wasn't going to let go. Well, maybe you haven't heard of Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Have you heard of Henry Dempsey? Probably not. But I read an interesting story about Henry Dempsey, 1987. Henry Dempsey was a pilot. And with his co-pilot, he was flying his shuttle. It's a Beechcraft, 15-passenger aircraft. And they were shuttling it uh, from Maine to, to, to Boston, I think. They're over the ocean. And Henry heard some rattling in the back. So he gets up to investigate. About the time he's almost to the back, they hit turbulence. He falls against the door and he discovers what the rattling was. Someone had not locked the door. He is sucked out of the airplane and on the way out, he grabs for Anything, he grabs onto the two cables of the door. He's face first, half out of the airplane. The co-pilot turns around, hears all the commotion. The, the aircraft is going 190 miles an hour. Do you understand that the wind at that, at that airspeed is between an EF-4 and an EF-5 tornado? He thinks he's been sucked out over the Atlantic. So he gets emergency permission to land, and he lands. And when he did, here's Henry. His face is 12 inches off of the runway. The story goes, literally, they had to, they had to pry his finger. It took them 15 minutes to pry his fingers loose. Would you say he had a life-and-death grip? Do you and I need a life-and-death grip on something as well as standing firm? If you're not sure what all that looks like, we've got some guys in this room right here that can show you how to grip the Word of God. That would be a good thing for you to learn. Listen, folks, with us grasping, claving to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the stakes are a lot greater than being sucked out over the Atlantic Ocean. because of deception and unbelief is pulling us not to physical death in an ocean but to eternal destruction in hell. So what do you stand on? What do you grasp? Let's look at it. The next part of this verse says the traditions, Uh uh-oh, what does that mean? The traditions that you were taught by us. Either by our spoken word or our letter. Traditions. Well, you know what those are. When I grew up, those were things you had to do to be a Baptist. They may not be in the Bible, still had to do them, right? Or not do them. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't go with the girls that do. Okay, that's. Hold to the traditions. Women wear dresses. Men wear coats and ties. But, by the way, is that wrong? Ed, I am glad. You, you, you dress up. I, but, but, see, a lot of times what we're saying here is, is that what Paul means? Hold to the traditions you were taught by us? Ah, he gives it, he gives it away by saying either by our spoken word or by our letter. What he's saying there is the body of truth. Paul was verifying that this book was going to be a part of what we call the canon of Scripture. You hold on to that body of truth, that body of divinity that has been handed down either by written word, the letter that's going to become a part of the New Testament, or by spoken word. Not the philosophies of man, not traditions, not customs, but the authoritative word of God, the the truth spoken by Him. I I think of what the disciples said to Jesus: "To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." Now, I don't have this on the slides, but take your Bible or smart device, turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. I just want to show you this for a minute, because we've talked about this, and Lord, please keep us not only standing firm and gripping tightly too, but keep us also humble. You, You, please, I beg you, don't ever get the thought, here it is just, well, we're better than, you know, that pastor's Listen, we struggle as much as anybody, but we've got to stand firm and hold tightly. Second Timothy 3 1, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So what do you do? What do I do? Jump on the latest bandwagon? Do the latest thing that's down the wire, the new theories, the new philosophies, the things that and, and they, they just make a cycle. They're basically all the same thing. But Paul told Timothy exactly what to do. Now, by the way, if first and second Thessalonians were Paul's first letters, these were among his last, last. So had he changed from saying, Stand firm and hold tightly. Here in chapter 4, verse 2, what does he say? The first three words. Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Let's end this up, okay? Verses 16 and 17 is a benediction. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who loved us and gave us I I like these two parallelisms, eternal comfort and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and work. I, I just find this interesting that Paul did not ask God to deliver them from affliction and suffering. What he did ask is that they would be encouraged and established in the Word to live with joy, with word and deed. Now may the Lord Jesus himself, God our Father, listen to this, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope. That's eternal comfort and good hope. Don't settle for comfort and hope. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't settle for comfort and hope. Settle for eternal comfort. Make sure it's eternal comfort. Make sure it is good hope and not a false hope. We have so many hopes, don't we? We hope for good weather. We hope for safe travel. We hope for time, more time, all those things are good. We can put our hope in any number of things, religion, morality, money, relationships, doctors, medicines. But hope is only as good as the author of the hope. I, I tell you, I love that song that we That we did earlier. I think we're going to finish with it, Jonathan, if if I'm not mistaken. Straight out of the Heidelberg Catechism, question number one What is, it says, our, what is your hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. When the Titanic sailed, it was the safest ship in the world. And there were all kinds of people on it. There were rich people, there were poor people, there were all different classes, social strata. But you know what? When that ship went down, there were only two classes of people, the saved and the lost. What is your hope? I don't know if Marvin Starkey is here. He's probably listening at home. And Marvin, I saw that hand. I, I you know, sweet Sonia's service and talking with Marvin and talking with many others. Ed, I look out and see you and, and, and many others that we've, we've celebrated their life. And I tell you, it's, it's always good to be around a Christian who is deeply, deeply grieving because th- the love was so deep and so real for the loved one. But when you see in these people the reality that the answer to their question, What is your hope? and Sonia's or Carlita's life and death, Christ alone. Christ alone with a hope, as Paul says, in another place that someday they will be raised, even though their body was sown in dishonor, they will be raised in glory and in power. Paul adds this, through grace, through grace. I don't know who said it, but I like it. This goes back to those of you who struggle with eternal security. Aren't you glad that God doesn't grade on the curve? He grades on the cross. And that's the only thing possible that will comfort your heart, the the core of your being, and establish your heart in every good work and word. I want to end with this. A while back, I read a pretty radical book called "The Insanity of Obedience." "The Insanity of Obedience," by Nick Ripkin. That's not his real name. He's a missionary. He has served all over the world. He has seen the most intense persecution. And let me end with something that when he was in Russia and seeing people who live even now under oppression and knowing that before the wall fell down, that there was intense persecution and martyrdom for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to just listen to the little exchange it's toward the back of the book. It says this, and and I'm 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 speaking to me. I'm speaking to all of us. This is kind of it's Father's Day, so I'm speaking to the dads especially. But you moms, you you hear this too, and you grandparents, you granddads, and he he's been talking about different things, and he says believers living. Victorious lives in persecution have a genealogy of faith. And if you've not been giving that, you can repent and today start. Even if you've got a week to live, begin to develop that genealogy of faith. Hearing story after story of faithful obedience, biblical in proportion, I cried out, where did you learn to live like that? where did you learn to die like that? The answer was always the same. I learned it from my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. I learned it from my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. And he was speaking to a specific individual who said they beat him, starved him, and humiliated him in prison for 17 years. His experiences included all the physical and psychological tortures that history records, yet he sang every day in prison, even while bloodied and discouraged. He was imprisoned right up to the disintegration of the USSR. Today, his son is a chaplain in the prison where his father was held for almost two decades. Where did this young man learn to live and die as a follower of Jesus? He learned it from his daddy. Father, I thank you that that you are doing a work, you always are, and that uh, through your word you you are helping guys like me to understand legacy and the importance of family and children and grandchildren. and, and, And perhaps there are others, moms and dads, grandfathers and grandmothers, We've seen that today. It's, it's not about being a member of this church or a member of any church. It's a matter of standing firm on the Word, holding tightly to the Word and passing that to the next generation. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that for those of us who are in Christ, that, that know that we are eternally secure because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, that today, for some of us, would be an extension, maybe for some, a turnaround. And that we would look more closely and intimately at leaving a genealogy of faith. But God, that has to start somewhere. So I pray if there's anyone here today, man, woman, child, who does not know you, who right now understands the gravity of his or her sin before you, a holy God. Know that someday you're coming in judgment, But knowing that you sent your son to die on the cross and that he has already been judged in the place of sinners. God, my heart's crying. I I know people are praying with me right now that there are those in this audience who would hear that maybe for the first time and would respond to that turning away from sin, playing God, fighting God, and looking to the cross, believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And today would be the day of salvation. Be a great day for it, Lord. Father's Day. Any day would be a great day for it, Lord. And so grant that it be so, not because of any power in us, but because of the power in your word, the power in your Holy Spirit. And we thank you. Now, Lord, as we uh, dismiss and leave this place, help us to latch our eyes upon our only hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen.